Let me start with telling you about Dr. Rosaria Champagne Butterfield is her name. We have a picture of her here. Rosaria, I don't know how to say it. Dr. Rosaria, okay. She was a tenured professor at Syracuse University, and um, she was well-respected and well-known for her field of study, which was uh, English literature, uh, but also queer theory. And uh, she was an outspoken critic of the Christian faith, um, a uh, lesbian and uh, an atheist as well. And she would regularly criticize Christians and Christianity in her public speeches and in her writings as well. And uh, the tension in her life really began to escalate after she wrote an article criticizing the Promise Keepers movement. Uh, After this very uh, critical piece that she wrote, she received a letter from a local pastor uh, who was challenging her views and pushing back on some of the things she had written. And uh, yet he he did that with real grace and real compassion. And so she was really intrigued uh, by this this person who'd reached out, and so she agreed to meet with him. And uh, this actually sparked a friendship between them. They would meet up and, and have conversations. And these conversations began to kind of put a big dent into her worldview and into what she stood for and what she believed. And so as these conversations went on, as they kept meeting and kept talking about things, she found herself doubting her atheism and doubting the life that she had been living up to that point. And so she started uh, reading the Bible and she, was, she spent really uh, almost countless hours poring over the pages of the Bible with initially the desire to disprove it and to say, like, this is ridiculous. You know, uh, she's a professor, a teaching professor. Uh, she knows the way things should be, and she wanted to disprove the Bible. But as, the more she read, the more she found herself drawn to the message of the Bible. And this created a real internal conflict for her because she realized what she was reading in the Bible was in complete contradiction to who she had become and what she said she believed. And the life that she was living and the things she stood for, her whole career felt like it was beginning to crumble apart all around her. And so she faced one of the greatest crossroads in her life that she'd ever faced before. And her story actually really relates to the the passage of Scripture we're looking at today. So I'm going to pause her story there, and I'm going to tell you what happened to her. We're going to get back to her story at the end of the sermon, so stay tuned uh, for the conclusion there. We're in week two of our series, The Real Jesus, and we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are free Bibles in the pew. Uh, We'll be in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to keep that Bible. It's our gift to you. It will come up on the screen as well. And uh, as I said last week, Um, Jesus is uh, actually a very well-respected, very popular figure. And my concern is that if people actually read the Bible and read the things that Jesus said and the things that he did, uh, he wouldn't be as popular. Because even though he gave us the greatest moral teaching and lived the most inspirational life, he had some hard truths, some real hard truths to, to share and to say. And what we have to do is if we want to actually understand who we are, and if we want to actually be set free and and be satisfied 
in God, then we have to look at the, the Jesus of Scripture. Last week we started off, uh, we looked at verse 1, we just, uh, we're going to look at a few more verses, we're going to reread verse 1 and go up to verse 8 today. So we're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark at a snail's pace, um, but it's going to be good, we're going to be, be, be getting all the, all the good juicy stuff out of it. And um, we start off with verse 1, looking at the idea of the Gospel, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this idea of this good news, the best news you could ever hear, that Jesus came to substitute himself for sinners. And that's a free gift. Salvation is a free gift through the work of Jesus. There's no other message like this, no other religion, no other belief system like this, that God is the one that works salvation for us in Christ. It's this amazing message. And we also learned that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the chosen one, the one chosen to bring the salvation, that he is the Son of God. That means he is equal in nature to God. So we're going to continue today. Let's pray, and then let's continue on. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your message. And I pray that you would help us to know you today. Help us to uh, fall in love with you today, all the more, that as we go through the Gospel of Mark, this testimony about your life that's been preserved for us, that we would cherish it, that we would be transformed by it, that we would know it and therefore know you through it. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read here. We'll read verse 1 again. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. So, other than verse 1, that, that, that opening statement that, hey, in the beginning, the gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right after Mark makes that opening statement, he immediately starts looking backwards. He looks back. He goes back into the prophets and the law of, of the Old Testament. He's reaching back. And this is significant to us because it's an immediate sign that the life of Jesus, the work of Jesus in salvation to save the human race from our own evil, this work is not, it's, it's a radical work, but it's not a, a, a radically new work, to put it in, in that term. That it has continuity with what came beforehand. That it's completely linked to all of the work leading up to the life of Jesus, the, the history of the nation of Israel, that God did this amazing 
sent, sent all these prophets and raised up all these leaders and communicated over centuries and over, over thousands of years this message. And Jesus is coming to fulfill that, to complete that work. So it's not a random thing that Jesus came to do, although it is a new thing. It was a surprising thing, but it was completely in continuity with what came before it. And Mark mentions Isaiah as the prophet Isaiah. And uh, what's interesting is here he quotes some sections from the Old Testament. The first part is from the prophet Isaiah. Um, Isaiah was the most known prophet of the time. Uh, Some of the other sections in there, it's kind of a mashup, actually. It's not only from Isaiah. It's from a few different places in the Old Testament. It's a bit of a mashup of quotations. Uh, But Mark keeps things simple for people, keeps it straightforward and simple. just says, hey, this is what Isaiah said. And... uh, and then quotes these things from uh, the old scriptures. And what's happening here is Mark is deliberately communicating. Not, he's not writing with Jewish people in mind. He's writing to Gentiles. That's what it appears to be, non-Jewish people. And in particular, it appears that Mark is writing to Roman Gentiles. And this is important. We're going to learn why Mark was doing this and why it's important. But Romans of the day, they wouldn't have really had much of an understanding about Jewish culture and Jewish history. They wouldn't have known the Jewish scriptures. And so Mark is keeping things light, keeping things accessible, keeping things simple uh, for them. I guess perhaps, I don't know if this is a good parallel for this or not, but Perhaps it would be like somebody today reading, reading a lot of Harry Potter or watching all the movies, and you know all, all the stuff about Harry Potter, you've heard about, about that, and you know all the details about it, but maybe you don't know some of the underlying themes uh, that are in the book that uh, J.K. Rowling put in some, there are some Christian themes actually that run through the Harry Potter series, and so if, you don't, if you're not familiar with that, you're going to read it on a surface level and say, well, I'm familiar, with, I'm familiar with Isaiah. I know Isaiah. But you don't know the deeper things. You don't know what's actually behind it. And so of all the Gospels, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of all the Gospels, uh, Mark actually quotes from the Old Testament the least. So, I mean, some of them are constantly quoting, constantly looking back, constantly referencing, there's this thing, there's this thing, there's this thing, and here's how Jesus fulfills that. Here's how that relates to the life of Jesus and how Jesus makes sense of that. Mark does that the least of all of them. And the reason is, is because he has the Romans in mind. He's wanting to reach Roman people who don't have all this knowledge or this history. So he's a bit lighter on it. And some of the ways we know that that's his audience, that's who he has in mind that he's writing to, is when he... uh, makes reference to things that are in Aramaic or in Hebrew. He actually translates them. So you see this a few times in the Gospel of Mark. He'll say this Aramaic word or this Hebrew word means this in the Greek. So he's keeping them in mind. Also, he explains Jewish customs and Jewish traditions. If you're writing to Jewish people, you don't need to do that. They already know their customs. They know what they mean. But he explains them. And even As he talks about Rome, he's either neutral towards it or in one place actually positive towards Rome. Uh, And so all of these are clues helping us understand what 
is Mark's agenda? Why is he writing the way he's writing? Why is he telling the story of Jesus the way he's telling it? Well, it's because he has a particular group of people in mind whom he's trying to reach with this message. And one of the ways to describe uh, what Mark is doing here is uh, contextualization. He's not changing the gospel. He's not watering it down. He's not making it say anything different. He's just being particular and being careful and thoughtful about how do you curate it? How do you present it? How do you communicate it? How do you share it in such a way that those who aren't familiar with this background can understand it? And so Mark is keeping things something simple. He's limiting other things. And then when he does need to explain something, he's very careful and makes certain that he explains it to them. And uh, we need to keep this in mind. You know, unless you're uh, close with Jewish people who have, or just, they don't have to be Jewish, but anyone who has a lot of knowledge or insight into the Old Testament scriptures, uh, anyone like that, if, if you're talking with someone like that or you're relating to somebody like that, then have at it. Talk about all that stuff. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, but we've got to keep in mind, a lot of people, you know, we're in Chicago. Chicago uh, is very much like Rome in many regards, and uh, Chicagoans are kind of Romans in, in that sense. And, uh, and so we have to keep that in mind. Uh, we don't shy away from difficult topics. We don't shy away from, from the hard things, the hard truths of Jesus, the hard truths of Scripture. We don't do that. But what it means is it means that we communicate in a way for our hearers to actually understand what we're saying. We're not communicating in a way to get all of our knowledge across. Knowledge is an idol of our time. Intelligence is an idol of our time. And so it's tempting for Christians at times to say, I want to get all my knowledge across, and that's about us. But if we want to do what Mark did, we actually have to be those who contextualize, who are thoughtful and say, how can I communicate, how can I get this across in a way that is good for the hearer, is good for the person who needs to understand this, because then they can actually be set free. Now, even though Mark is the lightest of all the gospel writers in looking back and referencing the Old Testament, it's undeniable. We, we have to be really very clear about this. He starts his gospel looking back. He puts an immovable anchor into the old scriptures letting us know this is a fulfillment of everything that has come before. It all has continuity together. So even though he is still the most careful about it and the lightest on it, he's still unapologetic and clear about it. Absolutely. And so in looking back, he uh, mentions there's a messenger who's going to come. There's this messenger. And this messenger is going to declare, um, it's going to uh, be coming to declare the Lord, right? It uses the word Lord. And that's in reference to God. And the Jews of the day knew that. They knew if you're talking about the Lord, you're talking about the God of Israel. And so again, Mark saying that there's a messenger who's going to come preparing the way of the Lord. The Lord is Jesus. The messenger is John the Baptist. We'll talk about him in a second. John the Baptizer would be a better title for him. They weren't Baptists back then. John the Baptizer. Um, and so when Mark says he's preparing the, 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 uh, the messenger is coming to prepare the way of the Lord, again, unequivocally, he's saying Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. This, 
This theme is very strong throughout Mark. There's so many, I mean, even in just the first few words of his gospel, he's pounding on this point that Jesus is of the same nature as God. He is God. And then we're told of this messenger coming, John the baptizer, not to be confused with the apostle John. There's two big Johns in the New Testament, if you didn't know. Uh, The apostle John, different guy, wrote... Uh, the Gospel of John wrote as three letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John in, in the New Testament as well. All right, Different guy, same franchise, different guy. They're on the same team, doing the same thing, but two different Johns. You know, it's confusing. You know, John's a common name for us, right? Because of, the, yeah, because of these guys. So uh, my middle name is John, you know, Matthew John. Actually, that's my Matthew and John. Sorry, any Marks and Lukes in the room? We could form a little team together. Um, so... Uh, this, this voice, he, he's this lone voice in the wilderness, right? This, this messenger who comes, John the baptizer, he is this, this lone voice in the wilderness, and he took the wilderness part very seriously, so he's dressed in camel hair, he's got crazy hair, you know, his hair's all gnarly, he's eating bugs, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a character, sound, the, the, the description of him, he sounds like a real character, took this very seriously, and uh, I guess bug eating is kind of coming back in fashion a little bit these days. You heard this, celebrities eating bugs. I think uh, I saw something, Nicole Kidman eats bugs. Anytime you you hear of a celebrity doing something, it's usually a perfect sign of what not to do. (laughs) Um, And uh, and so, but, but the curious thing is, you know, John the baptizer, he ate the bugs, you know, so, but, but he did it the Christian way. And the Christian way is to dip them in honey you, you, you dip them in the honey. That's, that's the redeemed way to eat the bug. So if you, if you, it's the, 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 the wild honey bug wilderness diet. Um, it's going to be the next big thing, actually. Bigger than keto. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go big on, on this, this diet. And John's role was to prepare the way for Jesus. That's why he was chosen. He was actually the, uh, the cousin of Jesus. They, they kind of grew up together. Um, and... Uh, but Jesus was, in, was more obscure. Jesus was more hidden and then came on the scene. He was kind of behind the scenes. Uh, but John the baptizer had a very public ministry for a long time and had disciples and was teaching. And his job was to, pre- to prepare the way for Jesus, to get the nation of Israel uh, spiritually ready for the Son of God to come, for this new Messiah to come. And uh, these, these quotations from the Old Testament, they're talking about uh, this messenger making straight the pathways. I think it uses uh, the word way twice and the word path once. And so this is a very clear and, and concrete idea that um, there's perhaps there's spiritual confusion, perhaps there's spiritual apathy, or there's, um, we've gotten off track spiritually. And so the idea of a, of a figure like a John the baptizer, he's come to, to straighten things out, come to make things clear and plain again for, uh, for people so that they would be ready, their hearts would be ready for the person and the message and the work of Jesus. And that's one of the things that we do learn at the time of Jesus, um, is that the people, again, were quite far from God. Their struggles in the Old Testament uh, was idolatry uh, towards other gods. They loved to worship. They just kept falling into, you know, it it took a long time. Them coming out of Egypt, it took a long time to stop worshiping those gods, and it was always an ongoing problem. They just loved worshiping the gods of other nations. And so, that was their problem. But then by the time of Jesus, they kind of had gotten that out of their system. 
But now it was more kind of... Um, so so, so that, that they're still within the, the boundaries of the Jewish faith or the faith of the, of the old scriptures, but they're, they're essentially had still fallen away from God in the sense that they were idolizing their own traditions. They had become... Uh, religious in, in, in the most negative sense of that, that word. They can obviously be a very positive expression of religion, but they were religious in the most negative sense of the word and, and really had fallen away from God and were uh, very religiously oriented, very, very legalistic. Um, and so instead of understanding the, the spirit of God's law, they were, um, well, like the Pharisees are a great example of this, right? They're, they're making all of these extra laws and then holding people to these standards that no one can ever live up to, not understanding the love of God and the grace and the kindness of God, not understanding the true message of the gospel, which is why Jesus, of course, had to come, why John the baptizer had to come ahead of Jesus to start softening the hearts of the people. And so John shows up and he's making things clear, making things clear for uh, the nation. This is not, these aren't abstract ideas. These are concrete ideas. You've got to repent. Th- things have gotten confusing. We're, we're, we're focusing on the wrong things. We're caught up in all this, this legalistic, ritualistic practices, and we've, we've got to get back to the reason why God gave us this stuff. We've got to get back to actually having a relationship with God and knowing God, and an obedience out of joy rather than an obedience out of, um, yeah, I guess, obligation. And so... This is a lesson for us. This is something for us that we have to look at the life of uh, John the baptizer and realize not only did he come to prepare the way and make straight the paths for the Son of God to come into the world, but that's essentially the ministry of all Christians nowadays is that we live as salt and light in the world to make straight paths for God. And John was very effective at this. Um, he, he's calling people into the wilderness. So he lives in the wilderness and he's calling people out. And people came from all over. And they came out, and they, they would go back into the wilderness. They would, you know, that's where they had to hear his messages. That's where they had to be baptized. They had to go back into the wilderness. And this had great significance uh, for the nation because it was in the wilderness where the people had been stuck for 40 years, wandering around after they'd been set free from Egyptian slavery. God raised up Moses and set them free from Pharaoh, and they but they were stuck in the wilderness because they were still disobedient. They still had hard hearts towards God. And so John the baptizer then saying, come, out, come back out to the wilderness. Come out from the countryside and come out from the city. Come out from Jerusalem. Come, out, come back into the wilderness. It's a call to return. It's a call to recognize, actually, even though, even though we're not worshiping the false gods of the Egyptians or other nations, we're, we're still kind of hard-hearted, stiff-necked people. We still haven't worked this through or gotten free of this problem. And so this would, would have really resonated with the people that John is saying, come back to this time period, come back to this location. This location represents the hardness of our hearts. Come back and deal with this issue in the wilderness, in the desert. And anytime you find yourself going back into the wilderness, some kind of spiritual wilderness, kind of a spiritual desert, as it were. If you're in that kind of wilderness, mentally, emotionally, physically, you're in the wilderness, there's different reasons for it, but it's always good to ask, is it because there's anything I need to repent of? There may not be, but it's good to ask that. Am I back here because 
I have a stubborn heart. My, I'm stiff-necked, and I need to be set free of that. I need to repent of something. Is, is, is my time of wilderness an issue of repentance? So it's just good to ask that question. I'm not saying it is, but it's good to ask it. But it wasn't just coming back to the wilderness that was significant. It was even more significant than that. John was baptizing in the Jordan. So he's not saying just come back into the wilderness. He's saying come back into the Jordan itself, into the waters themselves. And again, this has profound meaning. Mark doesn't get into it because he's uh, Mark's in a hurry. He's writing his gospel very quickly. He's trying to communicate this to the Romans of his day. And so we, we can spend just a few minutes on digging into this to help give us some context to it. But like we've said, the Israelites were in Egyptian slavery and they were under their Egyptian overlords and being greatly abused. And God had set them free and they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And then right before they came out of that time, that whole generation, unfortunately, if you're not willing to repent and change, one way that God works this out is you die in the wilderness. Whole generation. They just, that was it. There had to be a new generation that came through. And uh, that, that's a hard lesson. That's a hard lesson. So we've got to be willing to be humble and soft and repent and turn away from evil and, and cry out to God. And then that gener- the second generation that came through to actually enter into the promised land, to enter into the, f- the fruit that God had for them and the, the protection and the, the, the security that God was promising them, to enter into that, they had to pass through the Jordan River. This was their way out, their way through. And they, so, so they had actually entered the wilderness through, through the Red Sea, right? So, so it's interesting. On both sides of that 40-year period, they had passed through water. Uh, on, the, on, the, on the front end of this, right, Pharaoh and his army, they cornered them by the Red Sea. Amazing miracle. The sea parted. They got through. Pharaoh and his army chased them in. They're all drowned and killed. God had not only set them free, but destroyed their enemy. That's a picture of the gospel, the work of Jesus on the cross. Not only set us free, but has over power over our enemy. It's amazing. Amazing truth, amazing imagery. So that happened at the Red Sea, and then after 40 years in the wilderness, then they've got to do this, a similar thing. They've got to cross the Jordan, pass through the waters again to then occupy, to then enter into the land that God had promised them. And... There's something very, very powerful and very symbolic in the Bible about passing through water. When the priests actually got to the Jordan River and when their feet entered the river, either by miraculous divine timing or by direct miraculous intervention, further upstream the river, Jordan stopped flowing. And so it cleared. And so they could, the whole nation could walk across the Jordan River into the promised land. The night before that, before that even happened, um, when they're still in the wilderness, they actually consecrated themselves to the Lord and they washed all of their clothes. They would have washed them in the Jordan River. And there's lots of things like this that happen in the Bible where God's doing something internally in us, but we act it out externally to, to show what God is doing, to, to really embrace what God is doing. And you, know, you see it in baptism, right? Baptism is that same act. You see it in communion. You're acting something out. You're internally, you're grateful, you're thankful, you're um, communing with God, but you're, you're, acting, you're also acting it out on the outside. And so they, they, they ceremonially washed their own clothes. They wanted to be done with the rebellion and the sin of the past, the time in the wilderness. They wanted to be done with that. They wanted to put that behind them. So they washed their clothes in the Jordan. They cleansed themselves. And then the water 
I guess, parted in a different kind of way, and they passed through and entered into the promised land. The big lesson at the time of John the baptizer preparing the way for Jesus is you've, if, you've been, if you've gone off track, if you haven't been following God, whether you've been worshipping the idols of the world or you've been uh, too religious, you've, you've been uh, worshipping the, the idols of, of tradition, so it looks spiritual or it looks Christian, but it's the spirit of it's all kind of twisted somehow. And it's, you know, those paths have to be made straight as well. Whichever side of it uh, we're struggling with, the lesson is you have to go back. You got to go back. You got to go back to step one. You got to go back to the beginning, back to the start. And that's painful. It's embarrassing. It's. Sh- we can feel shame. We can feel like, shouldn't I be further along? Shouldn't I have done, taken more steps? Shouldn't I have done more things? Shouldn't, I shouldn't have to go back to, you know, it's, that's almost, isn't that what a child has to do? Or isn't that what somebody who's done something really bad has to do? Well, unfortunately, that's what we all have to do. I almost fell over. <laughs> Sometimes you have those days. You have to go back to the start. You have to go back. And what's, very, what's really powerful, if you think about this, They're not just going back to the wilderness, which represented their time of rebellion, not just getting back in the Jordan and saying, get get consecrated, get clean, get get washed again, repent of your sin, turn away, make the path straight. It's not just that, but when they come out of the water, they're walking back towards the promised land. This is why the message of John resonated so powerfully with the people of that day. Because with renewed faith and with renewed desire they're now walking back into a fresh sense of, now I want to live for God. Now I want to walk into the fruit of what God has actually called us to do and called us to be as a people. See, they were under Roman occupation. They'd lost their, their sovereignty and their, their, their freedom as, as a, their own nation. They were being oppressed. And Rome let them operate in certain ways and gave them certain allowances. That's how the Roman Empire worked. Uh, and they were smart because that way you keep people working so you can tax them the most. If you, if you oppress people too much, then they can't make money and you can't tax them. The Romans are really smart about this. They're like, we want people to have enough freedom so that they can make money so that we can tax them. And they were very overbearing in their taxation. And so the people were under the weight of this occupying force this Roman power that had come in, that was ruling the day. And so anyone coming to John, anyone hearing John's message of repentance and faith and, and baptism is then getting this renewed sense of like, is the new kingdom coming? Will Rome be overthrown? And that, that was a problem. That was something that they were crying out against in the, in the same way that they had cried out against Pharaoh and the Egyptians in, in the Old Testament and in a similar way now. And they're crying out for a savior, crying out for that. And there's definitely a, a point there, but the, the bigger thing that's intertwined with it, the greater thing that's intertwined, intertwined with it, is that they, they needed to be saved. They, they, they needed a spiritual reset. They needed a, a spiritual salvation. They needed to actually understand, no matter the circumstances, no matter what occupying force they were under, no matter what the governing powers of the day are, they needed to they needed to know how can their hearts be changed? How can the human heart be changed? Because unless 
unless you have a, a deep radical change in your own heart, it doesn't matter how much things around you change. It doesn't matter what government comes in or goes. It doesn't matter what the powers of the day say or do. It's just going to be more evil, perpetuated all the time. Because you need the human heart to change. That was the message of John. Come in repentance. And this, may, this message was so powerful, it really resonated with the people of the day. Everyone responded to it. It said that everyone came from the surrounding countryside, everyone came from the city, or the, the, the lower class people that lived in the, in the suburbs and the exurbs, they came out. The people of notoriety who lived in Jerusalem in the urban center, they came out too. Even, even the Pharisees, the people that were always pointing their finger at people and putting burdens on people, and those, they, they even came out to, to the wilderness to figure out, like, what's John up to? What's going on? What's this message all about? What's this, this renewal that's happening within our nation? They, 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 the people came to look at it. And this was so necessary. This was the perfect timing. This was God's plan to introduce Jesus so that people would be ready to hear that God himself had come in the flesh. And so my, my guess is if, you're, if you don't know Jesus and you're you're online or you're, you're here in person, and you don't know Jesus. My guess is now you might start connecting some of the dots, start realizing, oh, there's been some preparation work to get me here. There's been some clues, there's been some things happening along the way to get me to this place where now my heart's a little open, a little softer to the message and the work of Jesus. And this John, John the Baptizer figure, we're told of him that um, he was kind of like Elijah, who's another prophet from the Old Testament. And the people actually, some people said he is Elijah, back from the dead. Elijah had lived hundreds of years before, and basically Jesus affirmed, well, he, you know, essentially John the Baptizer came in the spirit of Elijah as the fulfillment to that, that expectation. And so the people held John in such massive regard. They were like, this guy is turning the nation upside down. He's calling us back to who we are, back to who we're supposed to be, back to the wilderness, back to the Jordan, back into the promised land, back into claiming and living the way that we should be living, back to this true salvation, this true relationship with God. This is amazing. It resonated so much. And then John says, somebody greater than myself is about to come. Somebody greater. I mean, they held John in such high regard. Who? Somebody greater? He's like Elijah from the Old Testament. Who could be greater than this guy? The whole, everyone is listening to his message. Everyone's responding to his message. Who could be greater than this guy? So John built this reputation, built this life, built this incredible ministry, this public, this, this very successful, you could say, didn't live with success, didn't live with monetary success. Got to be careful of religious leaders who live in such a way as they are showing off their monetary success. John was a quirky guy, eating the bugs and the honey. And he built this reputation, built this life in such a way that when Jesus showed up, Jesus could essentially borrow from all that social capital, borrow from that reputation, borrow from all that groundwork that had been laid to launch his own public ministry, to launch his own message, to talk about why he had come. Now, how amazing is it that God chose to do it that way? Does God need people to do this? I mean, he could have done it a different way, I suppose, but he chose to do it this way. 
God chooses to work through us in the world. Never underestimate the power of one voice, of one life. And sometimes that might be your voice and your life. You might be the lone voice crying out in the wilderness. Hopefully you don't have to eat bugs to do it. But you might be that lone voice, that one, sometimes just one life can make a profound difference, can make straight the paths, can get rid of the confusion and say, well, we're off track in this area and we're off track in this area and we've got to make this path straight in order to our hearts to be in the right place to actually receive the message that we need to receive. We're here to do what John the Baptizer did in our city, in our time, to do what Mark, the gospel writer, did in his day. That We're here to live good lives, yes. We're here to have our lives centered around God and to create a spiritual hunger in those around us and um, to be spiritually provocative in that way, provocative in a, in a positive sense, that I hope we understand this. I hope that we, we know that just by the way we live our lives, the day-to-day way we live our lives, over the weeks, over the months, over the years, we're, we're building something. We're building a reputation. We're building an example. And God uses that to soften people's hearts. God uses that to make straight the paths. That's why we don't want to waver on anything. We want to live that radical life for Jesus because at the right time, Jesus will incarnate himself into somebody's life and they'll realize, oh, this, this call to repentance and this life that others have lived is starting to make sense. It's starting to make sense. And this is what we're doing all the time. This is just living a life of integrity, living a life of character in Jesus, in word and in deed, that we're living this life. That's why it's so important to participate in a Christian community and how damaging, damaging it can be to actually be, be a Christian who plays around on the edges of that. Actually, what we need to do is we need to get into the core of the Christian community in order to build a strong culture to make straight the paths to help renew God's people, that there might be a gospel work of renewal in God's people because the glory of God is at stake. The, the gospel message of Jesus is at stake that we, we want to spread this message, we want to spread these values around. The, the stronger we can have Christian communities, this is what John the Baptizer was building up, he was building up a stronger religious community that had walked away from sin, walked away from the ways of the world, the idolatry of the world, or the, or the idolatry of tradition, and they walked away from that. They said, we want to come back to a true relationship with God. That had, a power, that had such a powerful effect. That has, building that kind of culture prepares the way for Jesus. So think about it like this. John's ministry was an internal, internal work. Right? It was a work of renewal. See, when Jesus finally came, and then Jesus' message eventually goes out to the whole world, right? The disciples took it to the whole world. That's, that's revival. Before you can have a revival, you kind of need a renewal. God's people, God has chosen people, a people. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're now part of the people. And he's chosen us for this work. And we have to be diligent and focused to make straight the paths, to build up this renewal work, to do the work of John the Baptizer, to declare this message that there might be a renewal within God's people, a strengthening 
of who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to build God's church and God's family, that's the foundation, that's the work we build in order for revival to come. See, we can't save anyone. We can shine the light, of course, but we, God saves people. What we do is we call people back to the Jordan, back to the waters of repentance, back into baptism. And maybe that's for you today. Maybe you need to be baptized. Just do it. Just do it. We'll, plan, we'll have baptisms coming up soon. You can mark that on your Connect card. If you want to be baptized, you want to go back into the, the, be consecrated to God, you can mark it on your Connect card. Take that step. Don't wait any longer. This is the renewal work, the public ministry of someone like John the Baptizer calling the people back. There's got to be a renewal amongst God's people. And as we're renewed, as we're zealous for God, we can, we can emerge from the Jordan River and say we're going to re-enter the promises of God and, re- and walk into the fruit of God. We're going to fully embrace the work of God, which, what did Jesus say? Jesus said he's come to build his church, right? And the gates of hell will not stand against it. He's come to build this. But unfortunately, you know, it's, it's easy to criticize the church, and, and we should criticize. We should call out our own brothers and sisters if there are problems there. But more than just criticizing the church, we need to make sure that we are building God's church, right? That we're doing that, because it's easy for worldliness to come into the church, for some kind of wonkiness to get in there, and wrongheadedness to get in there, or weirdness to get in there. There's some weird things happening in the Christian world right now, and we need to come back to this foundation of Jesus. We're making straight the way for Jesus. That it is all about the person, the work, and the ministry, and the true identity, the real Jesus. There's no, it's not about a politician. Most politicians are pretty dishonest. There's maybe every so often a couple of good ones around. It's not in them, it's in Jesus. It's not in policy. There are better policies than others, but it's not in that. It's, it's in the work of Jesus. It's not in, not in a party. Parties change over time. It's not in that, it's in, it's in Jesus. It's, it's not in an ideology. We don't want to look to the ideologies of the world to say, well, we can really learn from that. It's Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? I think that's the title of a book. It's all about Jesus. That's the foundation. John the Baptizer said that Jesus had come himself to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. One thing that gets missed in that statement is if you said to a first century Jewish, Jewish person that somebody else was going to come along and pour out God's Spirit on you, that's the same as saying that that person is God. Because in their Old Testament scriptures, the only person who poured out the Holy Spirit was God. So again, at the very beginning of Mark's gospel, he so clearly and unequivocally is saying Jesus is God. I mean, it's been there several times already. Jesus is God. God in the flesh. God come to us. So if you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit. You need to be flooded with Jesus pouring out his Spirit, making his home in you. You need a baptism of salvation. A baptism of salvation. 
if you're already a believer um, and you're thirsty for God's presence, you need a baptism of the Spirit. If you're somebody lacking power, so I need, need more power in my life. You need uh, Jesus has the Holy Spirit for you to flood you, to immerse you, to baptize you into the power of the Holy Spirit. If you lack courage, you're afraid. Well, you, you know what? Jesus has power and strength to pour out on you through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the amazing work of the Holy Spirit. The, the gospel writer Mark wants the Romans to know this life-saving message of Jesus, that he has come, and only he can do it. Only he can set us free from our sin. What happened with our atheist professor friend, Dr. Rosaria? Rosaria? I don't know how to say her name. Rosaria. Is that how you say it? Sure. <laughs> so you know how you get a word messed up in your head and you just can't get it straight? That's, that's the problem. All right. So she um, had continued to read through the Bible, and so it turns out that she was reading through the book of Romans, which fits into our sermon today quite nicely. She's reading through the book of Romans, and this is a book in the New Testament that was written by the Apostle Paul to the Romans, the Roman Christians. And she suddenly realized, reading through the book of Romans, that her life was built upon self-righteousness. And upon sin, it suddenly became clear to her. And this, this epiphany that she had, it radically changed her life. She found the faith to believe in Jesus. She repented. She laid down her atheistic beliefs and all of her lifestyle from before. She put it all aside. She gave her life to Jesus. And it's a powerful testimony. Her story is a wonderful example to us of just how powerful the transformative work of Jesus is. The truth of the gospel gripped her heart and changed her in such a way that it changed her from the inside out, that she suddenly could see her sin. She suddenly could see that she needed to repent of her own sin. And she not only had that internal change, but it overflowed in her life, and she became a defender of the Christian faith. She actually used her academic abilities and knowledge to begin to defend the Christian faith. She actually published three books now, sharing her testimony and her journey and her faith in God. And it's an amazing example to us, her story of how, as Christians, we're to prepare the way. This pastor reached out to her. They formed a friendship. It took time. It took a lot of patience, a lot of grace, a lot of conversations, but over time, he was helping prepare the way to the point where her heart was soft and she, she found faith in Jesus. Come in repentance today. Come and find faith in Jesus today. It takes humility. Are you willing to be humble? Humility is the lifeline. Humility is the way in. Humble yourself. Let us humble ourselves and re-enter. Go back to the Jordan. Go back to step one. Or if this is your first time, just come on through the Jordan River into the promised land, into the people of God and know 
that God loves you and that he saved, saved you forever. Maybe God's putting his finger on something in your life and you realize, I'm off track. I've got to go back. I've got to take a few steps backwards in order to get on the pathway, to make, make, get on that straight pathway, that Roman road. I've got to get back onto that again. Because you've got to understand, the further you go down a wrong path, the more off track you are. So you have to backtrack in order to go the right way.